going on, everybody? This is Drew here, and welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode 102.1, and we're back continuing our playthrough of Lost Odyssey. Today I have with me Matt. Hello. And so, yeah, uh, Matt was unable to record last week. I hope you guys enjoyed our conspiracy theory slash weird internet mysteries episode, whatever that was. I'm sure the, our next mission will probably be a continuation of that because there's tons of them out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're back to Lost Odyssey. Um, the last thing we did was we got caught. Got caught by the Marin Army. I would guess that's how you say it. Yeah, that, that works. Numarin, Numarin Army, um, and uh, we had to break out of jail. Uh, Jansen using his his little uh, magical marble uh, that <laughs> Gongora gave him. He was able to um, basically erase the guards memories and we uh we neuralized him and told him that oh yeah you're actually supposed to let us out so is th is this a big part of the I, I guess i won't say story of the game but is it a big part of jensen's character development because i mean he he was a mole like he was he was the bad guy yeah. and then all of a sudden without too much moral hemming and hawing he just decided not to go against us. So presumably this is going to come up him versus Gungora and he's going to get scolded or reprimanded or save us or there's going to be a little back and forth. We're not sure if he's really good or bad. Is that is that clearly what they're setting up here? I'm assuming so. I've played farther into this game, but I cannot remember any of this. The only thing... So far, go ahead. other than those couple of blips, he's just been kind of the comedic relief. For the most part, yes. I I don't know. I, I honestly I I because even after this part, there is that there is that one other part where Jansen's like looking at at both Seth and Kaim. Yeah. In, in that little weird way of like, should I be doing what I'm doing here? You know, it, it, it's. Yeah. I think he's kind of wrestling with that fact. And it's getting more and more clear that Kaim is getting his memories back. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. But if he was conf so conflicted about it, or if we're supposed to think that he's conflicted, why was he so quick? I mean, it was like the first opportunity he got to, to throw that little ball. He did it. I mean, they didn't spend all that much time in that jail cell before he's like, oh, yeah, I'll get us out. Well, the only thing I can think of would be self-preservation. Jansen does seem like the kind of guy who would do anything to save his own skin. Yeah. And so. are we then meant to think that he's got a backup plan for taking out Kaim? Or that he doesn't give two shits whether he does or doesn't? Or I guess there just hasn't been enough and there wasn't enough around his decision to use that ball to get a sense of who he is. Yeah. To me, it feels like this story is just going at light speed. Yeah. Like, I just feel like, oh, wow, all right, we're, we're finding this now, and we're finding that now. Um, it, I, maybe, maybe I'm crazy, because, you know, I, I've made it to the beginning of disc two. There's four discs in this game. Um, 
Matt, you're right there at the end of disc one, like legit yep. at the end of it. Um, and I feel like this story's kind of went by very quickly. There's been a lot of revelations just in the first disc. But um, yeah, global story, but also like the little mysteries they set up, like this recurring dream that Kaim has. You know, you find out a lot more about that right here at the end of disc one. Yeah. So, um, next thing we do is, is obviously we do not have our weapons with us, so we cannot get caught. If we get caught, then, well, we get thrown back on our cell, uh, because I got caught. And yeah, that happened a few times to me. You know, it only <laughs> happened once, and I'm just like, wow, they just straight up just like, yeah, we got caught and got put in the cell, and hey, thanks for letting us out again, man. I'm just like, wow, okay, that's what, that's how they're going with this. Eh, whatever. Um, but yeah, we have to do like these little sneaking missions where we have to go around and, and, and avoid these little robots and other guards, uh, and like the pressure plates that make the alarms go off. Yeah. This definitely felt intentionally Metal Gear-esque. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, this is all small compared to our next part um, which is yet another, uh, yet another kind of a big moment for for Jensen. Um, so we make it to this courtyard area where we find our weapons. The the soldiers are supposed to be carrying them to like a locker or something. Um, but we're able to get our weapons back. We have a fight with some of the guards, and then we go to where is like it's not the throne room. It's like a a personal room for the queen. Yeah, I, I guess I couldn't really tell what it was. <laughs> the harp room. The harp room. Yeah. yeah, seems like a long way to go just to play the harp. But maybe it's really got maybe it's got really good acoustics. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but we make this door, and uh, Jensen's like, "I'm going in," and he closes the door behind Kaim and Seth. And, of course, they're both like, God, what is he doing now? So Jensen's like, I, I, I can't miss the opportunity to to see this queen with my, my handsome good looks and, and charm. I should be able to woo her. And that's exactly what he tries to do. Yeah. He, he, he goes up to the queen and is talking to her after she's playing the harp. Saying how beautiful she plays the harp and and how lovely she is, and he casts a spell on her that makes her fall asleep. And uh, at that point, uh, the uh, I guess the, the the general shows up and uh, Heihachi, hey, Heihachi, if you want to, yeah, uh, and um, he's a. Uh, He's going. Uh, he's coming after us. So Jensen's like, "Oh crap! I gotta get out of here." So he's carrying the queen, goes underground, um, and uh, as he is doing this, uh, the queen wakes up, and is like, "Ha ha! You thought you put a spell on me? I can see through your ruse." And then she freezes him, or begins to freeze him. Uh, and during this time, 
Kaim and Seth are basically, I, I guess they're just, they're caught. They get, they get recaught. Yep. And, uh, Jensen has to, uh, has to convince the coin. No, we're, 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 we're good guys. You don't have to do this to us. Um, I have completely lost my track here. Um, I know he starts to get frozen, but she she stops. Yeah, and then don't they eventually just get caught and the queen kind of pardons them? I mean, yeah, that's essentially what happens, but I can't remember what led to that. This was like a yeah. week ago. <laughs> yeah, I know you end up opening that the, the trap door, but I don't remember... Exactly what, how. I guess the queen just has pity on him. But it's, it's later revealed that the queen is allowing them to do that. Because yeah, the, it says the general... part of it was that the, there was a bird and Jansen like saves the bird or tries to save the bird and maybe that's what convinces the queen that he's good. Right. But the the uh... she says she doubted his intentions, so she tested him. Right. But the queen does pardon the uh, the three of us and allows us to go on our way uh, through the city of Numara or Numara, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and there, there's the cut scene between the general and the queen. And the general's basically like, we could use them. Because if they are spies for Ura, we could use their information that they gather, you know, because they're obviously traveling. Yeah, to, feed them with false information. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that could allow us to, to basically invade Ura. Queen's not too happy about that. But the, uh, yeah, she's basically saying we don't need to go to war and he's calling her weak, right? Yeah. And he's, he's, he's basically like, oh, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to. So, uh, yep. We're now free to the streets of Numara. Against the general's desires. Oh yeah. But, um, the... This this whole part right here was me collecting memories. I was like, all right, where do I go to get all these memories? Yeah. Which yeah, I, I didn't get all of them because I didn't have the printout with me when I was playing at this point, but I did get a bunch of them, th- three or four or five anyway. Yeah. Um, But uh, when we make it, the thing is, is at this point, we're just free to do whatever we want. Go wherever we want, do whatever we want. Which comes to bite one of us in the ass. <laughs> so when you make it to the port, you can go left or right. Yep. Can't go straight where the ship is docked. Yep. But you have a 50-50 choice. So... I went right. <laughs> I went right as well. And then 
I noticed it took me to the to the world map where I could select where to go next. And I was like, what happens if I go left? So I went back to town and went left from the port and found a new area to go through. Matt, <laughs> I know you just told me, but you went yeah. you went to the next area. Yeah, I, I found a new area, and since there was no instruction at all what we were supposed to be doing, I said, hey, I made it to the next area, great. I'm into the Crimson Forest. Except, not only did it not tell you where you were supposed to be going, it also doesn't tell you that if you go to the Crimson Forest, you can't go any further. Unless you've done something else first, which of course it didn't tell you. Yep. And so I, I basically, ju- it's a big, kind of a big circle. And I just did laps, leveling up a bit for a while. I probably did seven or eight fights. And just kind of kept trying to kick all the mushrooms over. And there's a bunch of platforms that you can see but not really interact with. And I just figured, all right, I need to figure out what to do here. So I'll just keep getting in fights until I'm powerful enough that... I, I won't be dying to them. I'll get all my XP. I'll be properly leveled for the next boss. And at some point, my miniaturized brain will probably figure out what to do here. <laughs> and, yeah, it never did. <laughs> and then eventually I just <laughs> I just gave up. I'm like, I've literally been over every part of this circle like five times now. There's nothing to interact with. So then I just gave up and went left went back to the port, then went left, and then there's a whole other section that gets you what you need to get through the Crimson Forest. So, yes. Wonderful. Thanks, man. Yeah. This is this is of the old school where they just, you have to figure this stuff out. It's not as bad as Earthbound, but, oof. It yeah. would have been, it would if, have been if, nice if to They just something. had a log. Yeah. So the only time that then it gives you a hint of what you need to do really is if you're on the world map. So the second time I went to the Crimson Forest, it had a little blue indicator that I think was meant to indicate that you have to go to this section next. Yeah. But that's so useless at that point because there's only one new section on the map. So if I've gotten to this point and I've done everything, that's just the only thing left to do. And it didn't tell me when I went there the first time that I wasn't supposed to be there. So, really, I, I can't see how it's of any value to anyone. Yeah. So, yeah, going left, we run into these two children. Uh, a girl named Cook and a boy named Mac. And um, they're siblings. And they are uh, looking at these flowers that bloom. And they have like a, a, a bluish uh, light that illuminates from them. And they're in love with these flowers. They they uh, come and take care of them every single day. And um, they're trying to make sure nobody picks them or anything like that. And the reason why is because their mother loves them. Well, here come a bunch of Numerian uh, soldiers who are just for some odd reason just want to be douchebags and want to like take the flowers for themselves. Yeah. So we have to fight these guys off. 
We get into a fight with these guys. Um, that I thought was actually pretty hard. It was. It was. It wasn't a boss fight or anything. I no. didn't expect much out of it. But, you know, where I said I like to die once on every boss, A, this isn't a boss, so I don't really want to be dying. And I, I died two or three times on him. Didn't really expect to. And uh, But, man, that the 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 horse riding guards mounted guards their charge attack was doing like 350 damage to me yeah yeah these guys hit hard but after uh, fighting off these guards uh the uh the kids invite us because we helped them out to uh go to their home so we uh we decide to to follow them to their house which is deeper in this area right here yeah, pretty obvious which one is the house they're intending you go into, but I did find it funny that the kid says, go to our house, it's by the beach, it's the one with the blue door. I'll tell you what, almost half the doors in that place have, or half the buildings in there have blue doors. This is true. Uh, this kid, what, have you not seen any of the other buildings in your ghost town? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they all have blue doors, so thanks, kid. It's the house with the blue door. Or is this the only house that's still standing? <laughs> yeah. The only one that's not half caved in. Yeah. So uh, we go inside, and uh, there is a woman lying on the bed there. That's their mother. And uh, when Kai approaches the woman, he can tell that she is very, very sick. Uh, to the point where this woman looks like she's probably going to die at any moment. And... At that exact moment when he looks at her face, he has that memory glass shatter moment again. They do yeah. those a lot. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, I'm going to bring it up again. We talked about it uh, a few months ago, Supernatural. Uh, in season six of Supernatural, um, Sam has the, uh, the wall in his mind that's protecting him from all the bad things that happened to him while he was, well, while he was, uh, incarcerated, I'll put it that way. Oh, yeah, this is, this was unfortunately around the time that I dropped off. Yeah. So I, I saw all these parts, but yeah. And uh, every time a part of the wall come down, it would be like a glass breaking. And that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> uh but uh yeah um Kaim goes back to his his original uh memory of the little girl falling off cliff and him desperately trying to to uh to grab her as she's falling and then watching her fall to presumably her death and then he makes the connection that a woman laying on the bed in front of him is none other than that girl, Lyra. And uh, Kaim realizes, I'm, I am standing over my daughter. That seems to be the kind of thing this game likes to do, throw a big revelation. Like, Kaim's past is this essentially eternal thousand-year full of clearly like tons and tons of struggles and I, I i get the sense this is going to happen a lot in this game where you meet people and all of a sudden it's a big big reveal 
Maybe not as big as this because I don't know how many kids he had, but but yeah, I was like, oh yeah, this is this feels like the kind of thing that would happen to Kaim. All this time, didn't even know his daughter was alive. Finally meets her. Finally sees her, and then she lasts two more minutes. Yep. So, uh, yeah, she somehow survived that fall, and um. Lived to become a, a, I guess a middle-aged woman. I'm not sure how old, but, uh, unfortunately she is very ill and dies right in front of Kaim. And Kaim is like, oh my God, (laughs) he is, he's devastated for a while there. Um, and they had a very strange, like when they were trying to give him more emotion when he was standing by the bed. He was very animated, much more so than in any other point in the game. Yeah. Where his like his character models just like bouncing around. His face is kinda of go all kinds of all kinds of crazy. I think they're trying to play that off as he's kinda of almost like a blank slate. Yeah. So he has no emotions, but now that he's slowly getting his memories back, his emotions yep. are starting to come out more. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of comical the way they animated it. I, I guess it was supposed to be him sobbing, but his face was just almost like twitching. Yeah, and his, you know, I, I was like, oh, I, I, I get it. Like this is this is super painful. It probably shouldn't be as comical as it is to me right now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, and poor, poor Cook and Mac just watched their mother die. Just found out they have a grandfather who's younger than other. Yeah, who looks younger than his, their mom. And, uh, yeah. Kaim is, uh, once again feeling the pain of being an immortal. Yep. I mean, it's such a, it's a thing that's already come up multiple times in the game. And, and they're definitely trying to do it justice, but, but when you think about it, man, that is awful to have to, have to lose so many people. Yeah, and I, I just can't tell if it's if you could get to that point of immortality and ever get to the point where you see it as glass is half full, where you're like, oh, think of all the great people I got to meet in a thousand years. I mean, could could you ever get to that point, or is it always, yeah, I met these great people and everyone's died except for me? Yep. And you know that that's something that he clearly has struggled with, and is again now that he's realizing what what he's lost, but yeah, it would, I, I don't, I don't know how, how much deeper you can die, they can dive into that in this game, but yeah, it is, it is kind of an awful thing to think of. I would figure if, if I were in Kaim's shoes after so many times of, of, of seeing the people around me that I care about passing away and me continuing to stay the same age, eventually I would just stop trying to connect with people. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of thinking either you stop connecting with people at all and prevent yourself from feeling that pain or do you just get numb to it? Can you just get numb to that? He obviously hasn't gotten numb to it because when he saw his his daughter died, he very animatedly cried. So... But, uh, yeah, so the next part of this game, 
I understand why we do the things that we do. I just don't like it. (laughs) I understand we're supposed to have a funeral. And it's supposed to be impactful. And it is. I teared up at the end. But I don't want to run around this area collecting things. Yeah, could it could it possibly have been looked more like filler? Yeah. Uh, you play as Mac. No, you play as Cook. Then you play as Kime. Then you play as Mac. And two of those characters go around this area collecting things. And then the last part is a weird mini game where you do Simon Says by lighting this torch. Yeah, I liked I liked groups way of letting go. Right, I, I liked all the thematic stuff that you're doing. Sure. You know, obviously, yeah, it's nice to go pick flowers and, and put them on that little boat. And you're going to send her out to sea, and you're going to symbolically and actually physically cut your ties to her to let her go. And, and I get that. I, I like all that. But, yeah, it, it seemed a little bit, you know, it's like how, how do we turn this emotional moment into a game? And, it, you know, that part of it's not a very exciting game. Yeah. But, yeah, so we have to go collect flowers then we got to go collect branches and then we play as mac as he lights a torch for all the people that come to the funeral and they all sever their ties with her um uh, the thing that got me was the the flowers he got some of the illuminating flowers that yeah. started to wilt and then they started to come back to life and they said it's it's mom watching over us and i did get a little teary-eyed there yeah, this game does that so well. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in this part and in his, you know, his memories, but also specifically, like, the story-based memories. Um, I, I did have probably my favorite one. I guess we'll talk about those at the end again. But uh, probably my new favorite one is one of the ones from this recording. Uh, yeah, but one of the more impactful ones... Uh is in this one for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, uh, have to cut ties with, um, with Lyra. Um, it's in here somewhere, but we, we, we go to, meanwhile, back in Ura. Yeah. And yeah, it's right after this. It's right after this. Okay. Um, we play as uh, the 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 old king, the the Tolton. Yeah, Tolton the prince or prince. Yeah, was he a prince or was he a king at one point? I'm pretty sure he was I king. Know, yeah, I think he was king before. Yeah. Um, or maybe his dad was the king and he was supposed to be king, but they decided, ah, we're gonna we're gonna have a council now, and and he kind of went along with it, saying, yeah, it's okay, I don't need to be king. Um, yeah, because you do. I mean, he is here kind of seeking guidance from his father, I guess, the statue of his father. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, 
<laughs> there's a lot to there's a lot to to unpack here. So we play as him. Yeah, the next ten minutes is almost like a weird bad dream. Yeah. Of the game. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> like especially juxtaposed against what we just went through, this heartbreaking broken family moment to jump into these next ten minutes is weird. Yeah. So it's raining, raining as 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 my father would say in his his redneck dialogue, uh, like pr- pouring piss out of a boot. <laughs> if you've ever heard that before, um, but uh, it's raining like crazy. He's the 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 ex king prince whatever is desperately searching for answers. He knows that there's somebody out there who's trying to kill him, and he's asking. Poisonous. Yeah, he poisoned his soup that was going to turn him into this weird plant thing. Kill uh, the mouse. But uh, <laughs> he's he's asking his father, who has passed, for guidance. At that time, he then gets attacked by these weird mud monsters. Mud monsters, sure, mud monster things. I'm sure these were in the XL somewhere. Probably. I was thinking they looked a little bit like um, uh, the Grimers from uh, Pokemon, which is just like a big pile of sludge that animates. Yeah, yeah basically. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we have to fight those things off, so we're actually in combat with this character. Um, and then... Uh, it's revealed that the 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 head of the council can't remember what this guy's name is. Uh, the Roxy. There you go. The head of the council was behind this whole thing. He's like, yeah. He said, I'm the one trying to kill you, and you know, you just just can't. We we have to make sure that the monarchy doesn't come back because if we do, it'll be disastrous. So yeah. and as long as you're alive, you're giving people hope. Yeah. So you have to die. So we get into a fight, essentially a boss fight with, with this guy. Yeah. I, I kind of thought it was interesting. There's two small things that the game did around this point that weren't individually very big, but I, I kind of liked both of them just for what they might imply for the rest of the game. So this part, I like that it's like a fight. It's set up like a fight, but your only option is to ask questions, inquire. That's right. And I thought that was really cool because it's another way to like structure a conversation. Because I, I just the way you're asking him a question and he's throwing a fireball at you, and then you ask him a question, he throws a fireball at you. Uh, not not a very not a very two-way conversation, but I just I thought it was interesting that they could use the fight mechanics to tell the story. Yeah, and then just the one other thing while you were running around this cook, I thought it was interesting that there was a part of the ruins that you could access that you could not access as Kaim. That's right, because she was small enough to fit through the doorway, and I was like, oh, interesting. I hadn't. I wonder will ever backtrack, and there's things that I might miss because I assumed I couldn't go there because I tried previously, but now I might be able to. Again, not, not it, it's not much. All you do is go in there to find a flower, but just for 
you know, for what the game might do with it later. I thought that was kind of cool. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, as we're inquiring during this fight, uh, he keeps asking, why are you doing this? There's no need for this. And finally, we have to cut him down. There's there's nothing else that we can do. He's Yeah, I'm glad I didn't wait one more round to do it, because he would have killed me. Yeah. And so we uh we, we attack him and uh we, we cut him down and kill him. I, I accidentally went to defend. I'm like, what if I just show him I don't want to fight and we'll continue this conversation longer? And then I defended and he just hit me with another fireball. I'm like, alright, well that, that approach isn't gonna work. Yeah. So um we we kill we kill uh the head of the council here. He's laying there dead. And then all of a sudden, out of freaking nowhere yeah, this guy. Here, here comes Gungora. <laughs> My liege. He said he had a secret passageway into Tolton's house, I guess. But how did he show up here? So, here's my thing. And this may be the thing that Chad had alluded to a little bit, is... While they tell a good story and they tell a compelling story... Some of the dialogue in this game and the way it is performed feels almost hokey. Yep. Yeah, and I can't tell if it's intentional or not. I don't think it I, is. I don't don't think it is either. Because this whole conversation between Gungora and the king makes me as the viewer of it think Gongora is a horrible liar and the king is a gullible idiot. <laughs> I yep. just cause I'm yep. just like who would buy this? Yeah, absolutely. My liege, I I used the interconnecting tunnels that lead from my mansion to the underground to reach you in time. I'm so glad you're safe. Don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. You just need to leave. You need to create an alibi. Everything's going to be okay. I'll take care of you. And then the king's like, thank you so much, Gregor. What would I do without you? You're, su you're such a loyal subject. How can I ever repay you? And I'm just like, really? Like, it, is there not a better way to, could, couldn't it just be like, you know, did the director of this just go like fuck retakes? <laughs> yeah, just, I'm like, guys, like this this comes off like hokey, dumb. Yeah, but it's supposed to be serious. That's the problem. It's it is Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, which is tough because in in. In many games like this, it might not matter as much as here you're really trying... Like, the game is clearly trying to build character and, and, and make you care yeah. to a degree. They're trying to show deception, but the deception looks so elementary that you're just like, who would buy this? Yeah, if, if the main point of this game was a grand story and giant twists, you might say, ah, I could, you know, it doesn't matter that the characters were a little weird but but this is i mean this this feels so much more 
character driven with the story secondary than than the other way around. My thing is is that this game is made by Final Fantasy creators. This game came out after Final Fantasy 12, guys. Final <laughs> Fantasy 12 has a fantastic voice acting, you know, yeah. cast that know how to inflict things properly and not sound like they're they're doing a children's play maybe I'm being harsh on this but this whole thing and and, and we haven't even got the stupidest part yet <laughs> the stupidest part of the, <laughs> the stupidest part of this entire scene is the reveal we already know what the reveal is so it shows what was his name Roxian Roxian. Roxian. Yep. He's sitting at his desk writing something. And he gets attacked. This is obviously before this all happened. He gets attacked by a giant cobra snake. Straight out of Resident Evil 1. Yeah. It's, it's Yawn out of Resident Evil. And it eats him in one gulp. Now I get that. Crazy weird magic but yep. the icing on as the well cake. as the, the last like one second where you see like <laughs> Gongora's face in the snake's face I'm just when I saw that I was like is this a Disney movie yeah my I'm last like, thought there was like okay this is clearly now a joke yeah I was like is this is this supposed to be like did anybody else playing this game, not think that was Gungora doing that. Why did yeah. you have to show Gungora's face superimposed on this cobra's face? It came off like some kind of dumb... Like It comes off like... You ever seen that gif of of, uh, of, of Tom from Tom and Jerry... As he's going into the doghouse laughing maniacally. Look that up. Look up the gif. He's like he's like backing up into the into the into the doghouse while cackling, laughing. Like in an evil way. That's what this comes off like. It comes off like yeah. a cartoon. And it it's not helped by the fact that they just gloss over everything with yeah it was magic because it doesn't it doesn't feel grounded in that sense like I get that Gangora is you know was leading this project to, to harvest magic or whatever nefarious end he was actually working on at Grand Staff but w what are his powers can he teleport and time travel and turn into snakes and make zombies out of people by biting them with his magical snake like <laughs> Is this all just like literally anything goes? And it's, yeah, oh yeah, he was just harvesting magic, so he can do that. Oh, he can also make people immortal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, this uh, no wonder he wants to maintain Grand Staff. But I mean, there's a lot of different things that don't ha seem to have any bearing on any logical magical system here. It's the kind of thing that makes Patrick Rothfuss's books. The Wise Man's Fear and Name of the Wind so, so good because they're books on magic but 
the magic is like learned and it's 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 impactful and there's a clear relationship when you do A and B happens. It's still magic, but there's a science to it. This is just like who gives a shit? Yeah. You want to turn into a magical snake? Go for it. Well, that's my thing. Did he was was he the snake? Yeah, or or was he what, conjuring it or an illusion? Yeah. yeah, was it an illusion? So if Gongora was the snake, did he just eat an entire man? <laughs> you know, he, shit out of zombie. Yeah, you got you got to think about these questions because what, there was the scene when Tolton and Roxy and like were 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 talking to each other, and Roxy turns his head and he looks kind of like a. Like he's dead or something, like red eyes and a you know weird face. And so my thought was, oh, either, either he's possessed or he's a zombie. It was my thought after he was bitten by a snake. Maybe he's fully dead. I, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows indeed? But, yeah. That 10-minute little gameplay session there, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do you how do you want me to feel emotions in the last scene and be just utterly flabbergasted and confused in these couple of scenes yeah, as to what I'm feel? It's just I was laughing. Like I, I was sitting there just laughing. I was like, What? <laughs> like, like I'm playing this game while my wife's working next to me. And, and I I just went, What? She looked at the screen and said, what? And then by that time, it had already faded away. So I I can't share this with anybody. I, I'm now alone in this until I do this podcast. And I'm just like, did anybody else see that? Anybody? I didn't imagine that, right? Yeah. It's also like you, you you could – this game would come off very differently to very different people depending on how you describe it. If you start talking about the politics of, you know – the, the ex-prince who needs to be, like, erased from existence because of the uprising he very well might inspire. And you're talking about how the leader of the council is trying to get him killed so that happens. I mean, that sounds intense. That's, that's Game I of Thrones I mean, that's like, shit oh, shit, right I'm going to sit down. Yeah, Game of Thrones. I need to, I need to see this. And then, and then when you actually watch what happens on screen, it doesn't at all match that level of intensity. And, it, and yeah, it comes off more like Tommy Wiseau making Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, I have a snake, but I want the audience to know that it was me, so you need to put my face up on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. These are know. two very different games. <laughs> I just really, really want to, like, I hope somebody mentioned this in the emails. We got two emails this week. I, I hope somebody at least brought yeah. that up. Because it can't just be us. I no. mean, it's pretty strong. Yeah, that's just like, what the hell? Um, but yeah. <laughs> After that, <laughs> we cut back to Kaim, who's still mourning his daughter. <laughs> and uh, um, it's like the next day after the funeral. And uh, Cook comes up to Kaim and is like, hey... Mac's gone. And they're like, where did Mac go? He went to the Crimson Forest. And they're like, why? And he, I don't know why he went to the Crimson Forest. I guess because he, he wanted to go, he wanted to go away for a little while. 
But you're not. Yeah, I think they also said it was where you're closer to the other side, and he thought maybe he could talk to his mom. Ah, but... there you go. Yeah, yeah. the The spirit, the spiritual magic is is powerful there. And so we're like, oh, but you you don't need to go to the Crimson Force. It's dangerous there. So now we have to go after him. So, Matt, this is where you stop. Uh, I I played through this for you know another. 20 or 30 minutes beyond this. Right, so there's two parts to the Crimson Forest. There's there's the forest part, and then there's underground. Where like yeah, the, I got the, into the underground part. Yeah, the spirit. Where you're like a, a temple or a tomb a little bit. Yeah. There's some el- magical elevators. So uh, the, the one thing we do need to mention here is that we gained a new party member with Kime's granddaughter, Cook, who is also a magic user. She is a mage, particularly a white mage. She's really good at healing. Yeah. Which is good because it frees up uh, Jansen. Yeah. Because he was my my primary white mage before, but he's also got the strongest black magic. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we got that. We got our, our, our newest party member. But, um, well, if that's where you're going to, that's where you stop, I don't want to go any further because, well some things happen uh, for some, yeah. this coming boss fight. Well, there was one pretty good reveal with Kaim. One thing that he mentions where he mentioned to we need to get some more immortals together. That's right. And I was like, ooh. I, I, I mean, because you don't really know who's immortal at the Yeah. And he mentions that Ming is immortal. Ming. Ming, the the queen? Yes. And he mentions that Sarah is immortal. Which was his wife. Which was his wife because when Lyrium was dying, he's like, just hold on, I'll get Sarah and, and I'll reunite you. Was it Lyrium or Lyra? Lyrum? Lyrum. I think it was Lyrum. Lyrum or Lyrium. I can't remember. I don't think I've been yeah. pronouncing that wrong the whole time. But, uh, yeah. So, so I uh, thought that was interesting, that we know two more immortals now. So it, it wasn't Kaim, if you remember correctly. It wasn't Kaim that mentioned that, that the queen was immortal, but Seth. Seth, oh, okay. Seth was like, Seth knows her. She's like, I wonder if she recognized me. But, um, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that, man. But yeah, that's, um, that's where we left. Uh, I continued onward to disc two, made it to the very beginning of disc two. Um, th- some things happened this week. I, I, uh, there's a part later on, which I'll just go ahead and talk about. There's a part later on where, uh, there's some boulders rolling down these stairs, and if you get hit by them, you fall off, and you have to climb back up. Well, what I didn't realize was is that every time I got hit by the boulders, I lose hit points. And I got hit by those boulders like three times, and got into a random encounter, and had like five hit points. So the the enemies like wiped my entire team, and I lost 40 minutes of progress. And I uh. said... I am done with this game for today. Yeah. And I came back to it the next day and well, no, 
that's that's as far as I made it, unfortunately. <laughs> the one other story thing that might be worth mentioning is just that when you're to the Crimson Forest, you get a little cutscene of where they're loading tanks up onto the ship. Right. And Jansen's like, oh, all right, I guess they're going to invade Ura. Yeah, they're getting ready to invade Ura. Lost Odyssey Dreams. Let's talk about the dreams. What was what was the one that hit you before we get to them? Uh, I'm looking them up right now. I want to know what the name of it is. For me, it was very clearly Letters from a Weakling. I believe... Oh, but there's actually a lot of them that are pretty good. No, oh, there's a lot of them. Good. That's totally not, not the yeah. that's not the impactful one for me. That's an impactful one, but the one I was talking about. So we'll, let's talk about the letters of a week from a weakling, um, which was Kaim, uh worked. This one was longer. Yeah, it was very it was long. longer than a lot of them. Yeah, it was very long. Um, Kaim working at a dock, loading stuff, and he he has a uh, has a. a Coworker friend. Um, this one, this one hits on racism. Hits on acceptance. Yeah. It hits on, uh, like you know, depression. Yeah, and it was just another one of those things where it's like oh, these bad things happen, and you know, to your point of maybe you just choose not to befriend people if 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 all you're going to do is kind of cause problems and outlive people and not not miss out on life because of your mistakes where other people have to miss out on life. Yeah. You know, I, I just got the sense I'm like, oh this is this is a formative thing that happened to Kaim that caused him to dislike his past. And I'm like, oh man, that's that's rough. Yeah. So um uh Kaim and his co worker are friends with this woman who is from another country. Uh particularly she cannot speak uh, the same language, though Kaim, I think, does. I think the other the other guy does, or he learned it. Um, Mina, and, Mina, Mina, and um, she also is a darker skin tone. Well, um, he his friend is obviously smitten with her and decides he wants to marry her. She says yes, and um, he has to transfer back to his hometown. Uh, and his hometown is a very uh, conservative way of thinking. And his family never actually accepts her into the family. And and, and even the whole setup, like she she liked Kaim. Yes, she did. More than the friend, but Kaim never, you know, either wanted the friend to be happy and never pursued her or specifically said no to her yeah i don't remember exactly why they never got together but uh yeah um and so alex is his name alex that's right and so uh, the family refuses to accept her even after the wedding and um gosh so um Kaim keeps getting these letters from her uh, talking about all the good things 
and only the good things. She's masking it. And um, she's with each letter, she gets more and more depressed, realizing that even if she does learn their language and tries to fit in, nobody will accept her. Alex and a couple times over the years, he like Alex comes out and visits Kaim, yeah, and asks him to come to the to the farm and to meet her and to cheer her up and you know things things were never as good as they were when the three of us were together. And Kaim keeps refusing to because she liked him or likes him and doesn't want to really give her what false hope. Yeah, that that maybe he could whisk her away and save her from this life that she didn't really want and chose anyway and hasn't been better off for it. Yeah. And um, then she she becomes pregnant, has a child, and uh, Kaim uh, realizes that uh, the letter's stopping. And it cuts to a few weeks, maybe a month later, Alex shows back up. He is... Uh, a shell of his former self. Uh, she has taken her own life because she couldn't take it anymore. And he reveals that I know she's been writing to you and you never wrote back. So I wrote back to her pretending to be you to try and make her feel better. And she ended up killing herself because... Yeah. You never helped her. And Kaim, like, because Kaim, Kaim cared about her, it sounds like. Yeah. But, you know, and so basically tasked Alex and said, yeah, do this. You can marry her, but, but keep her safe, keep her happy. And so all this time, she clearly hasn't been. And, you know, and, and Kaim is struggling because he doesn't want to get involved. And Alex is struggling because, you know, because he knows that, that, Mina likes or has always loved Kaim and she's struggling alone and without anyone who to really lean to, not accepted by anybody. I mean, every single person in that story is unhappy. Yeah. That's a hard one. And then, you know, and then in the end, Alex is like, would you have even come back? If, you know, if you had seen her letter where she said, uh, what did she actually say in the end? Like, just just reach out one time and I can I can make it through this, something like that. And, and the fact that he never answered is why she ended up killing herself. Yeah. And he's like, I answered every letter except for that last one. Yeah. I was just like, man. I mean, that to to me, I was just like. It's so complicated. There's so much suffering, so much pain. No wonder, you know, no wonder Kai might take the approach that that you mentioned of just like, why, why would I want to get involved in people's lives when they're just going to die and and just get ruined? And you know, and and Alex even in the end is like, I never even should have married her, even though I married her, I had a kid, I was in love with her. She never loved me, and it never worked. I, you know, I should have left her with you the whole time. And then Kaim beats the shit out of him. Yeah. And can't stop. And I was just like, man, like, uh, you know, even there, the juxtaposition between how, like, quiet and stoic he is now to know what it would take to get him to 
you know, to, to beat the crap out of his best friend, like, uh, it's just awful. Yeah. That was a hardcore one. Yeah. Um, the one that I was thinking about, well, I'll save that one for the last, um, the talkative mercenary was another one. I don't know if you got that one. It was about. Uh, I think so. Uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> there is a series of books that I I kind of yep. liked that I got into. This reminded me of that series of books. It's uh, Matt. I think I suggested to you. You may have read some of them. Uh, the Black Company. I finally picked up the first one on Kindle. I think, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. So for some reason, this reminded me of that because it's surrounding a bunch of mercenaries. Um, Kaim and this mercenary group are all getting uh, ready for this big battle that more than likely they're going to lose. Um, the enemy is surrounding them and closing in. Way outnumbering them. Yeah. It's at night. And uh, there is a, a young mercenary who is constantly talking. And he's he's everybody else is real quiet, including Kaim. And he realizes he keeps telling stories of uh, the talkative ones or the dangerous ones because they're the ones that end up getting everybody killed. And uh, it goes on slowly throughout the night. This kid's like, look, we can just turn tail and run. We can get the hell out of here before these guys get us. Why are we dying for this this country? Nobody cares about us. We don't care about them. And he's basically trying to start a mutiny. It's also breaking the spirits of all the other mercenaries there so Kaim grabs the kid takes him to the edge of the forest and drops him off and says just leave and uh, the mercenary is like well what about you you can come with me he's like no I'm back and do my job yeah I signed up for this yeah and uh, he's like I never know I never knew if that kid made it out or not um but uh, the the one that uh, the one that hit me was the one that's called uh, "Don't Forget Me Now." You hear? Yep. This one got me right in the feels. Uh, so Kaim is wandering around this town uh, in this uh, kind of like a, a outside bazaar kind of thing, and uh, this old woman comes running up to him. Who, with a very childish uh, way of talking, calling him brother, big brother Kaim. Yep. And uh, Kaim's like, I have no idea who this person is. I like, I haven't been in this town in years. I have no idea who this person is. And there's people around Kaim saying, just ignore her. She acts like this with everybody. She's went, she's went senile. Yeah, she's just old and crazy. Yeah. And um. Kaim uh, runs into his, the woman's great grandson, who is taking care of her, is basically caretaker of her now. And he's like, "Yeah, she she's she lost her mind a few years back, and she doesn't even know who I am. And obviously, she's she thinks you're somebody that she remembers from when she was a little girl. Which <laughs> how funny is that, right?" You know, you're probably in your late twenties. Yeah, she's like, and she's yeah, she's an old lady, and she's an old lady. And um, 
she wants to, she really wants to give big brother Kaim uh, a flower crown or something. She wants to make something out of flowers. And so she goes out to this little field area and is picking flowers. And as she's picking the flowers, she falls over, um, dying of a heart attack, I guess, or something. And, um, she always tells everybody, now don't you forget about me. And, uh, Kaim promises that he'll never forget about her. Even though he forgot about her a long time ago, he'll never forget her. <laughs> he'll never forget her now. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was impactful because this woman who I said went senile, she still remembers Kaim from since she was a little girl. And I yep. was like, that's fucking sad. <laughs> That would that would made me made me it made me cry, but my eyes swelled a little bit, and I was like, "That's that's horrible." <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was a good one. And the 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 ending of it was basically to fully die is to be forgotten. That was that was kind of like the lesson of that story. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of others. There was the bell one, the evening bell. Yeah, I thought that one was okay, but it, it was fairly short. Yeah. Right. And it it wasn't overly sad. It was just kind of more just melancholy. Yeah. And Kaim was like, it was showing how Kaim is like, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I there's actually a, there's a song I really like by Thrice called In Exile, and there, there's a bunch of lyrics around, you know, I, I, I'm a nomad, I'm a wanderer, I'm, you know, I've got nowhere to put my roots down, and I, you know, I, I kind of got that sense from, from Kaim here. He's like, I, I think you, you can see him through these memories getting more and more alone. And this, you know, this was a good example of him maybe having the option to stay and form bonds and really choosing not to. Yeah. By by his own choice and not just purely out of circumstances. But yeah. Which almost makes it more sad. I mean, if you just say these bad things happen to him, it's like, yeah, I mean, bad things happen to everybody. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess you've had a thousand years of bad stuff is worse than somebody having 20 years of bad stuff. But but when you take that a step further and you see that it's changing him as a person and making him become numb and calloused to the world, that's when it becomes even more sad, I think. And he, you know, you know, he, he's kind of deciding that this is this is his life. Yeah, that's. He says at the end of that one, I don't have any place to go home to. That that's the kind of thing that really ties it to that song to me and I'm like man that's you know I, I can relate to that to a minor degree just because I've, I've moved around every couple of years for the last 10 years I don't uh, you know I don't have a strong sense of home anywhere not not to Kimes degree but you know it's the kind of thing where I'm like well man he's he's changing he has changed from these actions and I think that's you know that that's what turns it into a good character story for me is you can see the effects of things on him. Yeah. 
and that that's where this game really continues to to shine. These stories are are just really really impactful. Yeah, that's even this one that's super short. I mean, this is one of the shortest ones in the game, I think, so far. Yeah. But just that statement of ending it like I'm gonna leave and I don't even have anywhere to go home to, just gonna keep wandering. I'm like, man, that's that is a sad, sad moment. Yeah. Did you have any others? I didn't get any others. Uh, I think that was the last one that I got. Okay. All right. Well, we do have a couple of emails. Uh, the first one comes in from Chad. It says, howdy crew. Oh, buddy. I got a lot to unpack here, mostly in response to questions and clarification from the oh, boy. F- first episode. Um, outlining this to try and keep this as concise as possible. Okay, so first point. <clears throat> this game is actually shorter than I remember. I previously said that it would take around 60 hours to complete, but I'm already almost through this too, and I have less than 20 hours clocked. I'm also not grinding. Uh, might be able to wrap this one up in about 40 to 45 hours. Next. I am enjoying the differing opinions and criticisms about the game. Like I previously said, previously said uh, this is not the best game ever or the best JRPG ever, but it definitely has some qualities that warrant playing through it at least once. I do have to admit that I'm a little surprised by Dustin and Jamie's reactions because they are the exact opposite of what I anticipated. Hmm. I, thought, I thought Dustin would love the combat and hate the short stories, but it seems vice versa. I'm not disappointed. I'm just surprised because I thought Jamie would really enjoy the short stories. As for a little context on Dustin's question about the ring system, that is mostly due to the development team coming with coming from Saknoth, which developed the Shadow Hearts games. Sakaguchi was intrigued with how their battle ring system kept players engaged during their style of turn-based combat. Next point, Drew and Matt, both of you danced around the right answers to your early predictions, but neither of you were quite right. However, Matt got pretty close with one of his points. I'll just leave it there to prevent spoilers. Uh, well, that's confusing. I don't even know what I said now. <laughs> no, I, I can't remember either. Next point. <clears throat> At the beginning of the game, that was obviously a magical meteor that hovers over the battlefield and oozes lava all over everything. I don't really understand the confusion, LOL. <laughs> or the snake men. Oh, so man. Or, or the mud men. No, the mud men. The putties. <laughs> all right. Drew, you were confused about to equip spells that you find, but you don't equip them. If you look under the magic tab in the menu, you will see blank spaces within the different magic levels. That is because not all spells are unlocked when you learn a, a level. Some have to be found or bought. For example, ground is a level black magic spell, but you won't be able to use it until you find it. Once you find it, it is automatically unlocked within your available spells. Okay? That's a good information to have, which I kind of figured that out in this Splash Play session. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Dustin asked about a tent or an all-party heal item. For save points, other than those occasional blue points that look like save points, there is no tent equivalent in the game. However, there is a save point exploit 
that can be used when needed. If you use a save point back out to the main menu and then reload your save, all party members' hit points and special points will be restored. Although I enjoy the memory short stories and think that they are one of the most unique parts of the game, I have to agree with Jamie on a couple of points. I actually enjoy... Uh, I actually enjoy the wonky PowerPoint presentation at times because it feels like they add a little more character other than words popping up on screen, but they can really drag down the pacing of the game, especially when you unlock two or three within a 15-minute span of gameplay. I personally have been skipping some on occasion so that I can push forward with the game and then revisit them later from the main menu. If you miss any, I believe they are all achieved on YouTube, archived on YouTube. Also, I agree with Jamie and Dustin that they are ranged from very interesting to very boring. They are hit or miss. Unfortunately, Jamie, I don't think I can say of a big payoff other than the additional character contextualization. That is a hell of a word. Um, but <laughs> some do provide treasure hunting clues starting on disc 2 and onward. In the early parts of the game, the GC system is a simple is as simple as taking out the front row and then the back row, but it does play more into strategy later on. For some battles, it is advantageous to lower the GC of the front row enemies enough to start taking out troublesome back row enemies. This works the other way around, too. You can heal your front row characters, but your GC remains down unless you use certain skills, which keeps your back row lower HP party members exposed. For Kaim and Seth, guard, heal, and stand ready will, while defending are much more useful than they may seem, especially when running into enemies later that are impervious or less impacted by physical attacks. Speaking of which, Matt, if you like the busy work of the systems and battles, it keeps getting better as you bring on new party members and add new spells and skill mechanics. You will constantly have to strategize physical attacks, magic, elemental, non-elemental, etc. Also, the elemental system is a little different in this game, and I'm not sure it explains it very well. Water beats fire, fire beats wind, wind beats earth, and earth beats water. Meaning... Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Meaning, <laughs> certain elemental attacks will generate more damage in that circular pattern. In the spirit magic category, the gamble spell is much more useful than it may seem, especially with magic-based enemies that don't respond well to physical or elemental damage. Drew, some stats are basically static with your characters. The load screens show a grade system to reflect character strengths and weaknesses, but you may not see that because you're playing on the power of the Series X. Basically, some characters will always be high physical and low magic and vice versa, except some characters that come later, which are middle of the road between physical and magic. Small spoiler for Jamie, but Kaim does move the hair off of his face until the final post credit scene when one of the party members points it out. <laughs> Jamie, I do have some Xbox 360 recommendations for you. Crackdown 1 2. Halo series, Gears of War, Alan Wake, The Fable series, Blue Dragon, 99 Knights, and Too Human. I would also recommend dipping into the original Xbox catalog with Jade Empire, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, 
However, these games will seem very dated without the modern Xbox console system's backwards compatible upgrades. I second Jade Empire. Jade Empire is a fantastic Bioware game. Yep. I, I'd agree with all of those except for Crackdown. Crackdown 1's okay. I didn't like Crackdown 2. Now, Matt, I know those aren't your style of games. Yeah. You don't like the open world, go wherever you want to, make your own fun kind of... Crackdown... Mixed I, with the goofy humor. Oh, yeah. Especially. Drew and Matt, I know you're still on the fence about doing Assassin's Creed Origins after Kiwami, but Dustin and I are both down for that if that is what you decide. Personally, Origins is still my personal favorite out of the current trilogy. I think it is less bloated than the other two games, and the characters and story are more interesting. Also, you can mainline the story in about 35 hours with some of the side quest content. You will have some side quests since the main missions are sort of level-locked unless you play on the lowest difficulty. Also, that game is probably the closest I've seen to The Witcher 3 formula. It has great side quest content, Although not as complex or fleshed out as The Witcher Three, you can get a long list. You can get a long list of main and side uh, content with various recommended levels. Also, the main and secondary target system are akin to Hitman, where you can take them out in various ways. I actually took out my first target by accident and didn't realize it until it transitioned to a cutscene, which was kind of weird and rewarding at the same time. Okay, I'm done for the moment. And sorry for the long email. Hopefully I provided some useful information for the rest of your playthrough. Till next time, Chad. And he also sent another little Lost Odyssey tip for the next play session. There is a town called Saman. Or Saman. S-A-M-A-N. Saruman. Yeah. You will want to pay Dandy the Crow over and over again until you get the Awakening Amulet. The options, uh-huh. the options he gives you don't matter. You will want this accessory, and this is the only time you'll be able to get it. It will make your life easier. Trust me. Well, I'm keeping that email because I want that item. I just need to. Go I did finally money. get. Uh, I did finally get an item. What do you mean? There's that. There's a couple points in the game where you have to pay a bunny. Yes, uh, the, the seeds. The, the peapot? Yeah. Yeah, I was able to get a sword out of him. Yep. Yeah, I had given him exactly 20, I think. 20 seeds, and that's what it took to get the sword. At, yeah. I think it's Adamantus, right? I think so. But, um, yeah, uh, he he's that that character is a little bit like the blue dream character where that that takes all the nothings that you find yeah that was that 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 was always kind of funny to me every time i searched for something it just kept saying nothing 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 and i was like oh well there's just nothing here and then there's like hey i'll buy all those nothings you collected what <laughs> <laughs> so next email comes in from jamie <clears throat> says hi guys i'm going to start with questions from last week chad's questions slash jamie's answers number one what is your current theory on why kaim and seth are immortal okay so i had this star warsy theory that kaim and seth were siblings and gungora was their father and that immortality was hereditary i figured maybe he was trying to use magic to figure out how to kill them all and re- release them from the etern- from eternal life 
seemed like it fit when Seth was joking that they might be lovers and then they end up being siblings. I was thinking maybe Gongora is actually a good guy and wants to spare his children the pain of watching everyone they know die. But then Lyrum shows up and dies again. So bang goes that hereditary theory. So currently, no real theory on why they are immortal. Though Kaim had to have had Lyrum fair recently, which is surprising. Yeah. But then he'd have lived a thousand years, right? And all these dreams point to him being super sad about watching everyone he knows die. Doesn't seem very responsible to have a kid in that case. No, that, no, that I can, not that I can blame him, I guess. Accidents happen. Number two. Yeah, but I am surprised that he cared. Because it would have been 970 years into his thousand years, right? Yeah. Assuming she was about 30 when she died. Sure. So it does seem weird that he would spend all that time hating his past and then fall in love. But I, I know that there was one, I can't remember which one it was, but there was one dream that, that deliberately went out of its way to say Kaim has taken numerous wives and seen numerous children pass. Yeah. So it seems like he just doesn't learn his lesson. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Wrap your tool. It's not that hard. Sorry. Might have been hotter a thousand years ago. <laughs> Number two. It is implied that they have lived for over a thousand years, but they have lost their memory. That's a lot of years worth of experience to suddenly forget. What do you speculate as the cause of their amnesia? I think Gungora has been causing their amnesia, or possibly the widespread use of magic in general is causing it. Uh, there are holes in this theory, though, specifically that he didn't know where Seth was, so... It's unlikely he was continuous causing her amnesia. I'll just assume uh, that if he gave Jansen a way to stop the, their memories, he must be continually doing that with Kaim. Number three. It definitely leads you to believe Gungora is the bad guy, but is he? He is evidently, employ evidently employing some shady tactics. What do you think he's ultimately trying to do? This is frustrating because I have no idea. The guy seems really seems like a bad. Uh, the more he does, um, the less likely it seems like he's doing anything good at all. He just seems like he wants to control the king, control the country, and use the magic. To what end? I have no idea. Maybe it's a good purpose. Maybe not. I haven't seen enough to figure that out. Number four. Although Kaim occasionally recovers memories, there is one reoccurring one with the girl falling or jumping off of a cliff. Thoughts and theories. I've already seen that the Lyrum stuff now, so the, this question doesn't really matter. However, Gungora was clearly there. Did he push her? Did he convince her to jump? Is that how he captured Kaim? Kaim looked a lot different in that vision. He didn't seem like a mercenary. He had to have he had to have been already. So maybe he'd travel down and have a life. Seems like it goes against all the dreams of him feeling like he doesn't belong. Unless he forgot he was immortal for a while. Number five. Yeah, I wonder how long do we think that he's been without his memories? That's a good question. We don't know how long he's been without his memories, which means he may very well have tried to settle down with Sarah. And yeah, yeah, but maybe then, you know, maybe nine hundred and fifty years into it, he lost his memory when he met Sarah. You know, is he he didn't know to avoid her or to yeah. avoid caring. 
That's true. Number five. Gongora is apparently at least familiar with Kaim and Seth, lying to the council that his own magic made them immortal. What do you think his relationship is with these two? Again, I don't even really have much of a theory. Maybe he just figured out how to control them. Immortals doing their your bidding seems like a pretty good deal if you convince them to work for you. I'm not 100% convinced he's also an immortal since we only really know he was around when Lyrum was a child. We don't know he's been around for thousands of years. Maybe he's just re really a scientist trying to figure out how to make himself immortal and needing all the magic to do it. That makes a lot of sense. If, if Gongora lied about making Kaim an immortal and he was around when Lyrum was around as a child, he may not be immortal. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking alternatively that he just time traveled. Maybe he, maybe he still did create Kaim as an immortal. And it's just kind of peppering into his life every hundred years for for ten minutes. So so we're 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 throwing in time travel along with this. I mean, he's using magic for literally everything else. That's true. It's very true. We're we're quickly turning into Metro twenty thirty three here, where they have aliens, mutants, and also demons. So, I you remember when we did that? Yep. I don't like that game, man. <laughs> I thought I thought Metro twenty thirty three was bad. Yeah. I mean, but like hard to control as well for me. Well, yeah, but like just that story. Yeah. Like was it what are we are we throwing in that now? Are we throwing in the supernatural along with, with science, aliens and scientific mutations? That could actually happen. I mean, you know, it, it could. But then, you know, you, you're throwing in ghosts. <laughs> I mean, I, like, all right. I mean. Cast in a wide net. It happened in uh, The Greatest American Hero. Dude, dude got a... a, a, a a suit from a bunch of aliens that made him a superhuman. And he also ran into ghosts later on. <laughs> and they specifically asked that. I don't know why I remember this episode. They specifically asked. They're, they're going to a haunted house. And one of them asks, I don't believe in ghosts. He's like, well, I have a suit that I got from a bunch of aliens. Do you think it's that hard to believe in ghosts? Well, yeah. Yeah, I do. Anyway. Uh, I didn't make it very far in that show yet. Oh, The Greatest American Hero? Yeah. It's a rough watch going back to it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could watch it, but... Yeah, I was like, I'm sitting down to watch this just so I can see what it is, not because I'm so amazingly enthralled. Well, it's, it was It was a dumb comedic show. <laughs> I mean, it really was. It was trying to be comedic. So for those of you who don't know, <laughs> I have to explain <laughs> the greatest American hero. So in the late 70s and in the early 80s, there was a TV show about a high school teacher who received a... He was on a high school field trip 
got separated from his students in the desert and stumbled across an alien spacecraft. The aliens gave him a suit that gave him superpowers. The, the suit also came with an instruction manual telling you how to operate the suit. But this idiot lost the instruction manual. So now he's trying to pretend to be a superhero and he doesn't actually know how to use his suit properly. So he doesn't, he can fly, but he doesn't actually know how to fly. And he has superhuman strength, but he doesn't know how to turn it off. It's supposed to be a comedy. I think the biggest thing that ever came out of that was the theme song. Anyway, there's your greatest American hero trivia for the day. Keep it close. Yep. Believe it or not. I'm not home. Anyway. uh, Okay. So now on to the weekly stuff. In defense of my cold-hearted, callous nature. (laughs) Look, I don't hate the dreams. I just find them to be too long. And they seem to crop up whenever I turn the game on and just want to go do some fighting. And I have to admit that they look like... they The look on his face and the Kime discovers a memory locked deep within his heart is a bit of a corny side. I agree that they are often moving and t- tell an interesting story. I just dislike the media. If they would have done them in uh, flashback cutscenes like with Lyrum, or even if they there was a voice reading them, maybe I'd them more. I just find them to stall the game too much, and they feel too uh, self-important. They're, they're like little Pixar stories that exist to make you sad. So, I agree with you in some aspects. The one thing I would disagree with you is have a voice read them, because the one thing that I've taken out of this last play session is the voice acting in this game is very hit and miss. The I la- think Chance is the only one I consistently like. Yeah, it is. It really is. Seth's okay. Yeah, Seth's okay. Kime's okay. But imagine if they got the guy who played Gongor to <laughs> read these. Would they be comedic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I can imagine, like, you know, talking about the, the the old lady that died, and then she fell over with a heart attack, and I decided to lay the flowers next to her, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I want to. If that guy is like a well-known voice actor, I apologize, but work <laughs> on work on your delivery, man. I'm sure you have since then, but holy crap! <laughs> Could just imagine him also reading the animations as they as they fly in yeah. and trying to like voice out like the bouncing and. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So all that queen stuff was confusing. Seth knows her apparently, but did the queen not recognize her? Their cutscene slash memory uh, thing 
seem to suggest they knew each other well, and yet the queen lets the travelers go? I know the general or whatever wants to follow them, but you'd expect at least some kind of conversation between the two. I also don't really know what to do, what to do... I also don't know what to make of Jensen's time with her. I guess to show us she's not just a figurehead, but has a mind of her own. But then she just faints at the thought yeah. of war. I was going to say she's pretty weak, but it doesn't even touch her. She just faints at the idea of war. Yeah. I'm getting so many mixed signals here. Uh, Numera was a little annoying, but I finally figured out how to get all the chests and get to the and get to the back of the store. I feel like I would have liked this a bit more when I was a teenager and had way more time on my hands, but these days I get precious little game time, so running around playing hide and seek just to get to the back of the store is tiresome, but I'll admit it's what makes all these types of games charming, so I can't complain too much. That's one thing I do have to mention. This this JRPG has the trope of, I'm going to break into this motherfucker's house and rob him fucking blind. Yeah. I went into even some... a little old lady, even if yeah. it's someone you know, doesn't matter. Nope. I'm opening every drawer. I'm opening every cabinet. It's mine. Yep. You got 100 gold in that drawer right there? Not anymore. Yeah, now I do. Yeah, now I do. What are you going to do about it? I'm fucking immortal. No. <laughs> I do find it weird. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Let me uh, get back to where I was here. <clears throat> However, as many, other, many of these Final Fantasy types, I did need some direction after a while. I went to the Crimson Forest after, some, after someone said uh. they, they wanted the crystal pieces. Or something. Now I'm talking to literally everyone to get all these damn dreams. So I assumed that's where uh, I was supposed to go. But then I couldn't get through all the paths, and I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until I went back to the hotel to nap that Jansen slash Seth suggested I go to the ghost town or some such. So thankful it gave me that nudge. Uh, uh, I never got that. Nudge. Yeah, I never got it either. Holy shit, these boss fights are no joke. But also, I have to agree with Matt. It's really rewarding to lose a fight once or even to and figure out what you have to do. Pretty much start a boss fight now, expecting it for a destroy me. It's nice not to have the option of completely overpowering a couple of characters so you don't uh, even have to think about the strategy. This game forces you to think about who is doing what, when, and what with what tools the only time it's kind of pissed me off is when you fight the spirit or whatever that is in the crimson forest oh well i can't get to that yet uh that's probably the hardest fight i've had so far completely used up all angel plumes mana and mana herbs capsules and it wasn't hard in that boss and it wasn't hard in that the boss was particularly difficult it was just a pain to figure out the timing and it was a huge waste of mana if you put blank. All right. So off we got. Off we go to find Sarah, uh, which should be interesting. Hopefully that woman has some answers. Also, she is she immortal? How did they get separated? Would have been nice if Lyrum lived long enough to explain some things. Instead, she had to take go on and die, and force us to go through that freaking torch lighting ceremony. 
Left. No up. No right. Just like the fucking torch, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was stuck on that part longer than I wish to admit. Anywho. Really enjoyed the Unsolved Mysteries intermission leak, but next time, maybe include a list of links or something. Oh, shit. Yeah, we probably should have done that. Uh, I wanted to do some more research, and it was annoying trying to figure out what to Google. Also, if you're interested in some Canadian true crime, Dark Poutine. Poutine. How do you pronounce that? Poutine. Poutine. I always call it Poutine. Poutine is a good podcast. Uh I'm off next week for spring break, and COVID is ramping up for wave three round parts. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'll be staying in and likely making lots of progress in Lost Odyssey. So expect another long email. Happy gaming, Jamie. Well, thank you all for those emails. Uh, That was uh, fantastic. Nobody mentioned this. So, Matt. Yeah, nobody. It's just us. Yep. I feel like that uh, if, if you're familiar with Lewis Black... He has the the routine of uh, he heard he overheard somebody say if it weren't for my horse I wouldn't have spent that year in college, and he's like, I don't understand what that means. Nobody else heard it, and it's been stuck in my head for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel right now. Nobody else saw that fucking snake except for me and you. And. I'm going to go on YouTube. I'm looking for that particular scene on YouTube, and I want to read the comments. Because yeah. I, I guarantee you I'm going to see some some friggin' weeaboo down there saying this was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for those emails. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Drew Leachman. Matt is at R-E-M-G-S, and the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Well, Matt, you got anything else for us, or you're good? We're 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 good. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm really enjoying this. I I want to know what happens. I'm I'm not invested so much in this story that it's going to ruin the game for me if it fizzles a bit because you know for me I, I really just want more of the stories i want interactions i want to know i want to know what jansen's up to i want to know you know how the characters relate to each other so i'm 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 really eager to continue with this and now i know i maybe should level up a little bit before i hit this crimson forest boss what do you remember what level you left at uh, high teens. I want to say eighteen ish. Okay, yeah. Uh, I I think you stop getting experience at level twenty. Could be wrong. Okay. It may be it may be like twenty one, but I beat the boss at like twenty. I'm pretty sure. So okay, I might be nineteen though. Yeah. So you can and and the the next part where you're at right before the boss room, there is a save point and there is also a little point that restores your health. Ah, oh, good. So you can I th- grind there. I did find it strange. I was watching when Cook joins your party. She's so underleveled relative to everyone else that she levels up pretty quickly. But it's crazy that when she's only like 2 XP from the next level, she only gets 2 XP from the fight. I've noticed that too. So she, you you only it's like you're limited one level per fight even if you're 
20 levels below and you would get five levels worth of XP, you go you don't go five levels. Yeah, it, it feels it feels weird in this game where y- y- you know, you're you're two you're two XP away from level team and you gain 400 XP and the other 398 don't carry over to the next level. Yep. And that's with every character. And I'm just like, hmm, somebody's robbing of XP here. Yeah, I earned that XP. Yeah. I was like, these fights are not easy. These fights take a lot of time and they use up a lot of my resources. And you're just going to be like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was strange. If that's the case, if they want to play that game with me, then they need to do Diablo when you level up. You instantly heal to full health and full yep. mana. The, you should do that at least, guys. So, yeah, I, I did notice that too, and I'm just like that. That irks the, the living shit out of me. But I, that's the way they made the game. So, I have recently made some really hard rings. I made a couple of rings. The problem is, is that the rings are only useful for my physical attackers. Yeah. Giving Jensen a ring is kind of use. Because... Yeah, it's it's pretty rare that I'm a t- straight up attacking with Jensen. Yeah. But sometimes. I mean, anytime he attacks, he's doing two damage, which is... All right, why would I do that? Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. I guess if you've got a chance of poisoning, that two damage might be worth it. <sighs> Maybe, but even then, he could be doing you know 200 damage with a fireball, you know? Yeah. So I, Yeah, so speaking of the magic, I thought it was just two pairs. I thought it was like water and fire counteract each other, and wind and earth counteract each other. I didn't realize it was more of a circle. That's what I thought, too. They are they are obviously not Pokemon fans, so because <laughs> that is some of that does not make sense. I was I was kind of figured they would do like a lightning, which would be what would hurt water. Yeah, but no. But yeah, I think that's it for us. Pretty decent long podcast. We're we're hour and thirty something minutes in. Yeah, I mean those were those are really good emails. Even yeah. when, even when our play session wasn't as long this time, it was you know it's really great to get some other other perspectives on it. Yeah, I was to be fair, I I think we got the best cutscene in this entire game. <laughs> I don't think anything's gonna break beat the beat the beat the the Gongora snake face. Yeah. Oh man, Every, background on my phone maybe. I am. <laughs> I am I am <clears throat> I am now very looking forward to the next cutscene with Gungora. <laughs> I want a game with just Gungora in it. <laughs> <laughs> but his hair his hair was dark, he's gotten a little fancier as he's aged, right? When he in in the scene where Lyrum went off the cliff, didn't he have like dark black hair and now he's like frosted his tips? Yeah, he, he's looking like a Backstreet Boy. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Maybe in a thousand years, he's he's got hip to the uh, to the fashion. 
Maybe that's why he talks so funny. That's how they talked about a thousand years ago. And he just never, he just never learned how to, how to talk properly. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure if I, if I met somebody from not, probably 400 years ago and tried to talk to them, I'd be like, well, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Gongor is just an idiot. <laughs> he, he thinks, he's like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if I like put my face on a fucking snake? <laughs> see him do some other things now like i just want to be liked i just want to be cool i want him to do like i want him to kill somebody he shoots a firework up in the air and has his fucking face in the sky <laughs> just in case you didn't know who killed this guy it was me all along <laughs> i'm sorry i need to stop I don't know why I'm making fun of this, but it was fucking hilarious. And it's only there for like two seconds. <laughs> the whole, I mean, the whole scene too, because when, when Roxy is away, like I would love to see that, that whole scene play out from above. This giant snake slithers in. So he gets up from his desk, waddles into the corner and that's it. And then turns around. Like, there there was no attempt to actually escape. There was no, like, what is this? Who are you? Get out of here. Oh, I'm going to find a sword. Guards. None of that. It was just like, I'll waddle five steps and then give up. <laughs> I mean, everything about that's ridiculous. Maybe it was, it was, uh, he was just astounded by, I'm about to get killed by this Gungora motherfucker. <laughs> How do I know? Because he has his face on the snake. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to stop. <sighs> okay. All right. Boy. <sighs> I do hope to see more of him, though. Oh, I hope so, too. I hope there's more tomfoolery involved. Uh, I don't see like a honey badger. <laughs> With his face. Oh. Okay. I think we've done it. We've, we've broken it. We've broken me. <laughs> Gongora has single-handedly broken me. Anyway, that's going to be it for us. I appreciate everybody listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week with filled with gun voices. Yeah. I hope you find something that touches you as much as this image has touched us. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to see if I can get a picture of that and use it as the picture for this, this particular episode. <laughs> Even if it is just me finding a YouTube video and taking a picture of it with my phone. <laughs> yeah, you might need to. I can't find one otherwise. <sighs> But, uh, yeah, that's it for us. <laughs> Until next time, though, I am Drew. And I am Matt. And we're out of here. You guys have a great week, and we will be back next week with the continuation of Lost Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs>